0: racing to talk about, yet still likely to last longer than the West Indies did at Lords. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, the Jamaican on this panel did not enjoy that reference. Uh, welcome to episode 29 of Motorsport 101's Bike Live. As we look back on, absolutely nothing that happened last weekend. Not once to phone it in. Uh, here on this show, we are still here uh, with episode 29 of Bike Live. Um, this could be either the very best or the very worst show we have ever recorded. You be the judge uh, of that. Um, we do still have plenty of news to bring you, most notably Valentino Rossi's absence uh, from this weekend's San Marino Grand Prix, his home Grand Prix at Misano, uh, and we'll talk about his absence and what it means long-term for MotoGP when he is not around. Um, plenty of opinions. On that, um, it's been a week of injuries because Cal Crutchlow found uh, cooking parmesan cheese in the kitchen too dangerous. Um, he is still racing at Misano this weekend, but we'll tell you what he's been up to this week as well. Uh, one of the last remaining MotoGP spots on next year's grid lineup has been filled. We'll tell you who has filled it, out of Intia, Ducati. Um, we'll also talk about World Superbike news as a spot is filled on the grid for the next two rounds at Red Bull Honda and the Silly Season updates. And look ahead to this weekend. As I mentioned, the San Marino Grand Prix at the uh, Misano World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli and the Showdown Six are set this weekend at Silverstone as the British Superbike Triple Header decides who will compete for the British Superbike Championship in the remainder of this season. We will discuss all of the different permutations surrounding that. Um, joining me then for this week, thankfully he has not injured himself this week.
1: Um, it's Andre Harrison. Welcome, Joy. You had to cut me deep there with the West Indies reference, didn't you? Yeah, you, you, you had to do it, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, knowing no, my Jamaican heritage, you had to go there, right? of I <laughs> did, I
0: did. To be fair, the, the way last night went out, we're recording this literally as day two of the test is starting. The way it went last night, England might be bowled out by the time we finish this. Uh, <laughs> cause it's a, a bowlers pitch, it's a bowlers pitch, clearly. Because they're, they're, <laughs> they're four down already. Um, so, uh, so updates on that as we go on, because um, we're really padding for time on this. Uh, no, get so, so we might just branch out and talk cricket instead um but uh, <laughs> anyway um, places you can find us before we get on with the uh, the show of uh, very little um on facebook you can find us facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 um on youtube where you can find our interview with jack harvey right now youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 our website is motorsport101.net, uh, and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to Bike Live and to Motorsport 101, uh, it's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, um, where you will have found this week, episode 102, um, entitled Too Many Syllables um, of, of Motorsport 101 um, this week. Um, you know, so At this point, I usually throw over to Dre to uh, tell the, the listeners what's happened on it,
1: but unfortunately, Dre wasn't
0: on it this week.
1: Yeah, it's um it, it's, it's 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 the ghost episode. I I, I took a week off this time around and sadly I won't be on next week's show yeah. either because uh Whatever manager is a piece of anyway but um, apparently from what I've been told they talked a lot about the Italian Grand Prix mm-hmm. Sebastian Vettel's championship lead and of course IndyCar at Watkins Glen as Alexander Rossi put himself with an outside chance of winning the championship with a pretty brilliant victory over there narrowly beating over Scott Dixon and Ryan Hunter right on that one And uh, Joseph Newgarden, championship leader, deciding to punt it into the side of a pit lane wall. Yeah, taking the Lewis Hamilton route to winning a championship, heading into a slippery pit lane. 3 yeah, lead and now putting himself in a very precarious just three point lead going into the final round at Sonoma next weekend, which oh, did we mentioned this? double points. Yeah, and, uh, uh,
0: uh, not only is it double points, but I didn't realise this, they don't use the they they already use a inflated point system to Formula One. It's fifty for a win anyway, isn't it? So it's a hundred yes. hundred points
1: for the winner. It's 100 points for the winner, and they also give out points for Indy 500 qualifying at standard level. So it's – there's also – like, technically, it's a seven-way title fight going into the final round next weekend. It's so, no – but even Graham Rahal is far down the seventh place. Still has a very, very outside chance. Oh, no. I think,
0: I think because they – I remember they mentioned this on the show. I think Zoe mentioned this. Because they award points if you turn up, don't they, essentially? Like, even if you're last yes. to score – so I think, I think, I, think that I, points, I, yeah. I think, so I think there are five in it because I think because of the double points. I think even, but even if New Garden turns up at Sonoma and finishes last and gets 18 points, he's still, as I say, he's still going to get 18 and put a couple That's out a of point. it. Um, but yeah, 100 points up, up for grabs for the winner. Um, so no doubt on episode 103, um, they will look ahead uh, to that um, So yes. the double points finale, where essentially between the top two uh, of New Garden and Dixon, it is winner takes all. Um, if Flash. one of those two wins the race they win the championship and uh, if uh, Helio Castro Neves wins the race he will almost certainly win the championship <laughs> as well uh, unless Newgarden takes second in the race um, it, it's, <laughs> it's that kind of finale uh, coming up yes. um, so we'll look ahead to that on Motorsport 101 um, on future episodes Um, Yeah, episode 102 with RJ O'Connell in the uh, presenter's chair alongside Ryan King and Zoe Hamilton. Find that on our website, motorsport101.net right now or on SoundCloud or iTunes, where you can subscribe to us on there and get each of our shows straight into your inbox as soon as they are released. Um, Right then, let's uh, talk about the uh, very, very small running order we have for this week's show. Um, (laughs) And and it's kind of funny. In uh, a week where there is no racing, and a weekend coming up where there is racing which doesn't involve Valentino Rossi. Uh, we still find ourselves talking about Valentino Rossi. Um, of course. Twas ever thus. <laughs> um, but, but he is really the big headline heading into this weekend by nature of his absence, Dre. Because we, we kind of flagged this up last week where we, we kind of... It fell into our laps where the news of his injury broke just as we were about to record the show. Um, which right. meant we were able to talk about it on last week's show, which... Um, Actually, probably didn't do us a favour in the sense because we could have talked about it on this one. Um, but anyway, we do now know officially that he is out of Mizano, um, leaving Maverick Vinales to go his alone for Yamaha and leaving us with a maximum of four title contenders now as opposed to five.
1: Yeah it looks very much that way that you know Rossi's going to probably just going to have a little bit too much work to do even by missing the one round apparently he's trying desperately hard to be ready for Aragon in a fortnight's time but I think even that is going to be a stretch um yeah it, it's it's sad to say but i think it's now pretty much all but official that Rossi's out of the title race for this year and it's going to be a a, a, a somber end to another attempt at number ten for Valley on this one. It's just uh, it's just not quite come together for him this season. At any point, really, I know he led in the early going, but uh, as, as the season's gone on, he's always. I think he's drifted out a little bit more compared to Dovi Marquez and his own teammate Maverick as well. It seems to have a little bit more upside in terms of winning races this year, but the injury was pretty much the death, the death wish there um, for, uh, for for Rossi's title campaign.
0: Yeah, he's always been sort of keeping in touch without ever actually making a, a bid to say, I'm the man to take this championship, whereas Marquez certainly has over the summer rounds. Dovi has on a few occasions. and Vinales did very early on when he won the first two races. It's easy to forget that Maverick Vinales was a dominant championship leader after two rounds this year. Uh, yeah, yeah. The way the championship has played out since then. Um, but yeah, Valentino Rossi out of this weekend's Grand Prix, home Grand Prix, the Grand Prix, the snappily titled uh, Grand Prix of the Republic of San Marino and the Riviera of Rimini um, this weekend uh, at Misano. Um, and up, it is, it is. I'm only because I've heard Gavin Emmett mention it a minute ago. Um, but uh, but yeah, Valentino Rossi out this weekend, and as you say, it is such a sad way for any man's championship hopes. Um, to disappear and it's amazing because he's spoken since about the crash itself and Mm. um, it's very easy to criticize and it has dragged up the whole debate again about what riders do when they're not racing Um, and even if you are of the opinion that riders shouldn't be on trials bikes during their downtime if you like which fancy rossi was on an enduro bike it's turned out that he wasn't actually going at full speed on this. He was just on a on a country road going at slow speed. Felt the bike get away from him and put his leg down to save it, and it the pressure of it broke
1: his leg. Yeah, I mean, like, even unless if you, you run- wrap these guys in cotton wool for two weeks, what more can you do? No, it's, it's this. This was a freak accident. It's, just, it's 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 nothing more, nothing less. It happens and. When you're riding bikes, they're just—we all know—they're inherently more dangerous than in driving a car for obvious reasons. And yeah, sometimes these things just happen. They're, they're unexplained. They are just bizarre. And again, like you say, like people—a lot of people—are very cynically brought out. You know, the talk of, you know, why are these guys riding trials bikes? Why are they training like this? Like, why When they keep causing injuries and whatnot? Sadly, Rebecca James was not one of those <laughs> people um, for once. Um, but it's it's one of those things where, like, Lynn Jarvis, I think, spoke out about this on Thursday, where Lynn Jarvis straight up said, well, listen, it's a critical part of their training for a season. Yeah. It's and, almost
0: like telling a footballer yeah. not to kick a football between matches.
1: Yeah, like, like telling it's, a motorcycle it's,
0: rider not to ride a bike.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's a critical part of their training for a season. And Lynn said, listen, whatever benefit they get off it is worth the trade-off of the occasional injury. And that's, that's just how it is. Um, so... You know, it's it's one of those things where you can't tell a rider not to train. That's ridiculous. They're professional athletes. And, you know, yeah, I know they prey on their bodies a lot of the time, especially in, in bike racing where it's a lot easier to get hurt. Um, but, like I said, the training benefits, they outweigh the cost of potential injury. That will always be the case. You don't tell a footballer not to train because, oh, no, you might get hurt in a training injury. Like especially that, Phil Jones is training with you. Uh, like I said it's one of those things where it's unavoidable you have to train you're a professional athlete you can't just not train and walk into any sport unprepared you have to do it and sometimes you get hurt in training it happens in every sport in the world sometimes you get hurt in practice sometimes you you, you injure yourself in a warm up it happens people bodies can break it's it's one of those things and and, you know very sadly it's happened to Valentino in a critical time in the championship but you know, we we forget these guys ride bikes. They're not safe. Like, it's even even at low speed, it, it, it doesn't take much to injure somebody when you're riding on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, why are we surprised he got hurt on an MX bike or a trials bike in this case? It just happens, man. Yeah, I mean, and,
0: in some ways, <laughs> the, the, the ones that injure you are the, the crashes that you're not prepared for. The ones that you're just not expecting, even if it is at a pathetically slow speed. Um, because because you're not you're not bracing yourself for it you're not you're not you no. know it's not like a low speed crash where you're able to sort of slide along the barriers and you know tuck your arms in so you don't roll too much and all that sort of stuff and you, the airbag <laughs> and your levers goes off it was it wasn't any of that and um, as 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 Valentino said it wasn't like he, he was doing it on a racetrack he was just going down a country road with some of his friends on his on his enduro bike going at a very very slow speed um, a slow speed that if he probably just jumped off the bike while it was moving he probably wouldn't have hurt him um, but. As it was, he put his foot down to try and save a, a minute slide and, and yeah, tib and fib broken, um, which, which yep. is astonishing. Um, now, he's not being replaced this weekend, which is interesting. Yamaha have decided not to replace him for this weekend's San Bruno Grand Prix, which is, which they're allowed to do by regulation, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kind of a, a sad quirk of the rules where teams are allowed to go, I think it's a round or at least two rounds, before they name a replacement through injury. Um, right, which is why we saw, for instance, Red Bull Honda World Superbikes take it until um, Giuliano arrived, also until Gagne arrived at the Laguna Seca round of World Superbikes to actually replace yes. Nicky Hayden um, after he passed away. Um, and views on that, Dre? I mean, if we're being cold and sporting regulations-minded uh, about this, you can kind of see Yamaha's thinking in that, of course as with every bike, as with Formula One this season, and Formula One's a much more extreme example where engines are carried over, whoever drives the car, or in this case, rides the bike. And of course, they have Mm -hmm. engine allocations for the season. I guess if you movie star Yamaha, they won't want to have to put a rider on Rossi's bike and use his engines if they don't have to.
1: No. And yeah, if we're going full cynical, and let's be honest here, this is motorsport. It's very easy to do that. And yeah, as you say like you like engine regulations are tight you know like yamaha saves money this way again let's be crude here they're going to save money by not running a second bike all weekend long and yeah, when Rossi does come back, maybe they can be a bit more aggressive on engines and, and whatnot. And maybe they can dial a bit more power into it by knowing, hey, we've got more of an allocation because Rossi missed one, two, X number of rounds um, via injury. And yeah, like the construct, like in, in terms of the Constructors' Championship, they only score off their leading rider. So as long as Maverick performs, as long as he finishes. They don't, Yeah, as long as he finishes. I mean, um, hey, the
0: the Constructors' Championship applies to just their manufacturers, so potentially Zarko or Folger can score them points.
1: Sure, absolutely. So, you know, it doesn't actually hurt them as a team all that bad not running Valentino for a short amount of time. As long as Maverick can deliver, you know, quote-unquote maybe, um, which, let's be honest, he does nine times out of ten. Like, it doesn't actually hurt Yamaha all that much in the long run. So why run a second bike? They haven't really got a good reason to right now. Um, Maverick is still going to be their leading light for a win. Nobody you put on that bike is going to really challenge Maverick in the short term right now, given it's a different bike entirely. A lot of people talked about the possibility of Zarco sitting on that bike for a week. And then people, we we, saw, we talked about this last week, we said, well, wait, are we sure that's better? Um,
0: given that Zarko's like... beaten them on the old bike this year. And and there are knock-on yeah. effects of that as well. I mean, I, the, 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 the idea I suggested off-air last week was perhaps they just wheel down Rossi's bike, take the 46 and the Movistar stickers off it and paint it black with monster stickers on it and just give it to Zarko. Um, but that has a few knock-on effects in that Zarko... Would potentially no longer qualify, if Zarco cares, for the independent riders um, classification. Um, For instance, if Zarco was in the quote-unquote top independent rider, he wouldn't necessarily be an independent rider because he's on a factory bike. Um, And therefore, if Zarco cares about finishing this season as the top independent rider, then the Mizano race potentially wouldn't count for it, um, which would enable Cal Crutchlow, for instance, to catch him up. And the the other knock-on effect, which I do find a little bit interesting is... Movistar Yamaha last year, of course, won the team's championship, um, a, championship yes, which, a championship which does apply to both bikes from a team, um, which is why LCR Honda are so low in it, because they've only got the one rider. Um, but, but Movistar Yamaha are only five points ahead of Repsol Honda at the moment, so they're, they're almost certainly going to lose that lead um, this weekend, given that, A, it's Mark Marquez, he was quickest this morning in the first practice session, but also Danny Pedrosa goes very well at Mizano. Um, historically won there last year um, so, so Yamaha's factory team may find themselves playing a bit of catch up in the team's championship um, but their priority at the moment will most certainly be Maverick Vinales winning the riders championship which he's still got a very good chance of doing and as much Dre as we would like them to name a replacement even if it was a a, a, a Nakasuga for instance or an Alex Lowe's and we'll talk about who that <laughs> might be in a moment um, whoever they name with the greatest will in the world is not going to be Giving Mathew and eyes much of a hurry, apparently. No, it's a very uh, hard even thing if... to do to step in. Even Jonathan no. Ray found it difficult on a Repsol Honda, he's the best superbike rider in the world.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's 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 never easy. These prototypes are big, scary, intimidating, and are hard to hard to acclimatise yourself to. You need time. Really, you need time and a great pit crew to do Just that. And even if you get the one... Th- it's nothing
0: else.
1: Yeah, exactly. As well, the, the Michelins have been all over the place pretty much all season long in terms of grip and who they favor. So, yeah, the challenge is is, is, is far too high in the short term to make that work. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone that they could bring in as a second rider would do anything to upset Maverick, who Yamaha, Yamaha now have to go all in on to win this championship with, mm. which actually mm. might be a good thing given the fact that Given that Yamaha was the only dog with two guys in this fight, um, there's it's like McLaren in 2012 when it was like 2010 to 12 when they had Jensen Button and Lewis Hamilton at the same time. You had two number ones; they were taking points off each other, Mm. and when you do that, you actually weaken both your guys' chances of winning the title if your two teammates are fighting each other. It's why the whole two number one mentality actually kind of hurts Yamaha a little bit. But hey. Now Rossi's technically out of the picture. Maverick now gets all the attention because now they have to go all in on Maverick to win the title. So for Yamaha, this might actually have a couple of pros in it, as well as the cons, obviously.
0: Mm, yeah, that, that's assuming that when Valentino Rossi returns from injury, he's going to help Maverick. Um, now, do we... I mean, we don't know when Valentino Rossi is going to be back for, for a start. I mean, the likeliest return date for Valentino Rossi, if we're putting money on it, would be Meteggi, Um in... Four, four weeks from now, um, so um, the beginning of October when we have those three back-to-backs. And you kind of worry that if Rossi's not back from Mateggy he might have to miss all three of those flyaways. We'll, we'll wait and see on that one. But it, it, I'm still not sure on this in my own mind. I mean, I've been sort of weighing this up in my head ever since Rossi's injury came up, and we knew he wasn't going to be effectively a title contender anymore. But I'm still not convinced what Rossy's. I mean, Rossi's going to... I think Rossi's going to want to turn up at Meteggi and win the race. Of course. Valentino Rossi, like, like, would you expect anything else? No. Um, and it's interesting as well because um, David Emmett asked Jorge Lorenzo yesterday um, in the Ducati pre-race debrief, pre-weekend debrief, after they'd launched their new superbike engine, by the way, uh, their new mm-hmm. V4 for next year. Um, he asked Jorge Lorenzo, flat out, if you're leading this race on Sunday and Davizioso's second, would you let him through um, for the championship? And Lorenzo's answer was simply, I want to win. So that's a no then. <laughs> yes. So even Jaka- so even no. Ducati, who in, in inverted have a number one and a number two, even if Hawke wouldn't want to admit it, I don't even think Dobby's going to benefit from that kind of support, which you'd think Ducati would want to make themselves give themselves every chance of winning this championship, given what a golden opportunity it is for them. Um, it doesn't look like even they're going to have that luxury.
1: No, it doesn't look that way at all. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. So, uh,
0: so I, if, I, I can't imagine Valentino Rossi is going to be any different uh, when he returns. Um, and, I mean, Yamaha are going to have such a difficult bouncing acts, aren't they? With that, in, given that, of course, Valentino Rossi is their, their gold, their golden boy, their poster child, essentially for their team and for the sport as a whole, which we're going to discuss in a moment. Yeah. Um, but. He's not the guy that's going to win them this year's World Championship. And no. they, they, as you say, are going to want to do everything possible to make sure that they win the World Championship this season. And their only hope of doing it now is Maverick Vinales. And Valentino Rossi potentially could jeopardize that if he if he starts racing with Maverick later in the season. I mean, I think it is lucky, uh, as I mentioned last week for them, that the two do seem to get on. I mean, if, if Jorge Lorenzo was still on that second Yamaha, we've got absolutely no hope of Valentino Rossi returning not to and, hope in hell. and cutting him any slack. That might be Maverick Vinales' one crumb of comfort here. And in some ways, it's to his credit that he's ensured that he's kept Valentino Rossi on side
1: so far. Mm-hmm. Maverick clearly with a better political yes. mouse than Fernando Alonso has over the years. But, um, yeah, like, yeah, No, it isn't, not really. But still, um, check out that on the Dre Brief later this week. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things where. <sighs> They do get along, and that certainly is a plus. But I, I, I counterpoint to you with this side of Would you want to be the person to tell Valentino Rossi to even suggest pulling over to one side and let a Maverick win a race? No. <laughs> well, hey,
0: this is this is the same team that's trying to get him to adhere to a flag-to-flag and change bikes, and he's not responded. So, um, so, 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 so chances are he's probably not even going to see it anyway. Um, on, on if you put it on his pit board. Um, and yeah, yeah, I would love to be yeah the guy putting that on the pit board in bright yellow lettering. Saying, Maverick plus zero. Yeah, drop <laughs> drop one position. Um, and then see them running for running out of sight with a lot of yellow uh, flags of pitchforks chasing them out of the circuit. Um, yeah, good luck with that one. Um, but but it does present motor gp with um a problem um in that it's its home favorite isn't here for this weekend um and if he's not back at, at aragon yamaha have suggested that they are going to name and nominate a replacement for him um as i say by regulations i think they're allowed two rounds before they do that but they i think they for the team's championship and and out of out of a, sort of owing it to the championship want to field two bikes um for aragon yeah. um the the list of contenders to go on it aren't very long. It has to be said, um right. but if you had the option, who would you put on it?
1: My for for the sake of cross promotion, why not give Michael van der or Alex Lowe's a chance? Hmm. Yeah, that's what that like Alex. Is. I, I, I why not give Alex because Alex Lowe's has been in Moto GP before. He's got experience in Moto GP. Um, not very much, but still more than Michael Vandermark has. And Lowe's a is a... a half, rec- yeah, yeah. Like he's, he's got a recognisable face. He's been in MotoGP. He's He's got a bit of a brand because of his brother. Why not give Alex Lowe's a crack? We know that they, they could put Kats Nagasuka on there, no problem, and it would be just fine. But at the same time, it's like... Why not get a bit of cross-promotion for your R1 and your Superbike brand by getting Alex Lowe's in there and giving him a chance... To see where he ends up in the middle of the field because like, Nagazuka ain't gonna do anything. Like he's gonna be bottom end of the points most likely. Um why not give Alex Lowe's a go on the same bike and actually promote yourselves a little bit more from a marketing standpoint? That's that that's how I look at it. Yeah,
0: that's how I go for it. And as I said, Alex Lowe's has Alex Lowe's has had his best season in world championship motorcycle racing this year. Um, and I think has I think it would be a, a timely reward for him to to give him that chance. I mean, Yamaha have already made noises this year that they're they're looking to take a closer interest and closer involvement in their world superbike team because i don't think they're as keen as any of us are seeing kawasaki and Ducati dominate that championship they want to get in there in that and try and make it a three-way manufacturer fight um right so uh, they're, they're definitely watching closely what happens in world superbikes and alex lowes has helped them win this is a great hour once again um, Indeed, for, for the third consecutive year, um, might be another reward for him. <laughs> exactly, and and if you're going to reward one of your two riders from the World Superbike team, with all be all, all due respect to Michael Vandermark, surely you would reward the one that's been doing the best um, this year, even if he's already been with the team an extra year, um, which obviously Vandermark hasn't had that advantage, um, and. Another advantage Alex Lowe's has is that he knows Aragon because World Superbikes race there. Uh, and I don't think Nakasuga, well, I don't think, unless he's had some sort of mysterious appearance that none of us remember, don't think Nakasuga's ever been to Aragon at all. Um, so wouldn't know the circuit. And it's a pretty complex circuit, Aragon, as well, um, all, all right. told. So it's not the kind of circuit you really want to go to to ride for a factory MotoGP team, having never seen the place before. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, for me, Alex Lowe's ticks all the boxes because... There isn't really anyone else out there that they can they can really call upon that's a qualified and B is free because they could they could look to Moto Two for instance and try and pluck someone out of there, but they're gonna have their own interests and their own championships to race for in Moto Two, and aren't gonna want to pass those up um, right. to to race in Moto GP, even if it, it would be the opportunity of a lifetime um, to race in that championship. Right. at a potential shop window, the, the teams are unlikely to release their riders um, to go no. racing that. Um so um yeah World Superbikes has a weekend free because it's the weekend between uh Portimao and Magny and Jerez which is the round following that. So there is no World Superbikes to clash to keep riders away. Um so yeah, why not give Alex Lowe that opportunity? Um as I say, he did a, a very very solid job when he replaced Bradley Smith at Tech3 last year. Um He did at Silverstone and briefly at Mizano before he hurt himself and had to miss the race. Um, when he crashed in the warm-up. So we shall see. Massimo Marigali says that there's likely to be some sort of decision on Monday um, regarding that, um, which would lead me to believe that they perhaps already know that Rossi's not going to make Aragon um, if they're already already considering um, potential replacements. Um, It it is a shame, though, Dre, for this weekend. Um, And we'll talk about the wider implications once Rossi retires in a bit, because it's an interesting thing, interesting topic to talk about, but, um, GP heads to, uh, in the worst piece of timing, Valentino Rossi's home round this weekend. Um, Rossi's had a habit this season of injuring himself before both of his home (laughs) races. Um, and you know, he he turned up at Mugello half fit and finished fourth. He now doesn't turn up at all at Mizano. Um, and even if we're showing the ultimate sympathy for the Rossi fans, um it's it's terrible timing, a terrible look, and terrible for MotoGP, GP, given that this was probably yes. one of its rounds where they were gonna go they were gonna lay it on thickest with the Rossi um fanfare and they can't now. Um but it, i find it very, very sad and very disappointing, Dre. Um and I know we're not Rossi fans, so we perhaps uh a little bit more open minded nope. to say this, but I find it very disappointing that I've already seen people this week on Twitter. Um, and I know that those that are angriest tend to shout the loudest, um, yep. but even so, uh, to see people saying that they're not going to go this weekend or they're not going to watch this weekend because Valentino Rossi is no longer involved,
1: I find that very sad. What's the point? Yeah. Like, like Why are you dropping that sort of money not to go to a Grand Prix? It's almost like you're not actually a Grand Prix fan, you're just a fan of Valentino Rossi, and I'm not saying that's not a thing because we, we've talked about, I've talked about this many a times on the website. And I've written about this before because I, I, I'm one of those guys that likes to make motorsport a bit more relatable. Well, so I, I often contrast it to a lot of other sports. It's a lot like a LeBron James or a Usain Bolt or a Roger Federer or a Ronnie O'Sullivan guys that are transcendent in their own sport guys that are able to attract a casual audience, even if they're not particularly fans of said sports, um, and I think Valentino Rossi definitely quite... I mean, let's be real. He's probably the biggest name in all of motorsport here. Um, maybe even more so than Lewis Hamilton. Probably the biggest name in all of
0: Italian sport. Um, now it's that, absolute. for instance, Francesco Totti's retired. I mean, there aren't very yeah. others to compare to him. He is the it's the face of Italian sport. And this is one of Italy's two motorcycle Grand Prix.
1: Yes, and MotoGP and bike racing in general has been in this, this, like the Italians are one of the strongest superpowers now for bike racing in the last five or six years or so. And they've got a ton of guys on the way up that will most likely be MotoGP stars in the not too distant future. And as you say, Rossi is one of the most popular guys in all of Italy. He is one of the biggest names in sport. He's one of those guys that attracts casual fans um fans that are not aren't necessarily bike fans but they probably wouldn't watch it if they weren't rossi wasn't around but they watch it because valentino rossi takes part in it um again like i said it's a natural consequence of being that guy when you're on that sort of level but i do find it disappointing that people are going to spend hundreds of hundreds of euros to go to a grand prix weekend because a lot of the main cheap, and um, you know a lot like you know a lot of them are going to going to masana which is quite an obscure grand prix it's not massively popular it's not a Catalunya where you know it's it's smack way down. out on the coast it's way out on the coast it's kind of to itself it's a small sort of venue in that sense it's a beautiful venue but it is a, oh, it, it, you are
0: going out of your way to get there um and, and what makes it what makes it especially sad for me is when you think about it i mean for, instance, for heaven's sake, there's an Italian leading the world championship, and it's not Valentino. And right. and in Andrea Dovizioso, Franco Morbidelli, and Romano Fanati, there is a real chance of an Italian winner in all three classes this weekend. So why would no right. one want to go to that if you're in Italy and you're anywhere in the area? You could see a home winner in all three classes. And it's it's almost the fact that... I don't know whether it's perhaps Italian motorcycle motorsport fans aren't necessarily gripped by patriotism as much as... Other nations, although Valentino course, is Italian, but he's almost such a st- star within his own sport, with his own country that other fellow compatriots almost don't matter.
1: It's sad. It's it's actually kind of sad because Andrea Dovizioso has been incredible this season. I, I, was really has hoping, been incredible I was really hoping. I was really
0: hoping this weekend that instead of Misano being turned yellow, they'd turn it red for Dovi. But I, I just don't see that happening. Sadly,
1: it's not. It is amazing because Ducati is an enormous brand. It is, you know, probably the is obviously by a mile the biggest bike manufacturer in Europe, and, you know, they're in the middle about uh, maybe being sold amazingly for like the small price of one point six billion dollars. But, but hey, who, who's counting? Sold to right? who? But yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I think Audi. I think I think Audi are rumored to be selling it to Volkswagen, wow. the VW Group, which is. Um, interesting but uh like, like where have we got that money from after their diesel hmm. scandal anyway it's one of those things where yeah like have you ever seen a moto weekend where red's been the dominant color maybe orange but not red unfortunately um it's, it's weird because Ducati is such an enormous brand especially in italy and yet it's valentino rossi land it's yellow it's going to be yellow everywhere i think even without valentino oh, yeah. there'll be a shit ton of yellow out there um, and they won't do that because Dovi is just not on Valentino's level in terms of popularity, not even close, unfortunately. And, you know, it's a shame because Dovi deserves all the credit in the world for getting himself in this position where he can go to a home Grand Prix late in the season as championship leader, and he should be getting an entire c- country behind him. Even more so now Rossi is probably out of the running for this title. They, everybody should be going yeah. all in Let's on Dovi. behind this guy. Yeah, especially even so, even if they haven't, look at Frankie Morbidelli, who is leading the Moto2 championship right now. He's another guy that again, like Italy could could be about to get another world champion in that sense too. And again, you're not going to see a lot of guys back in the 21 out here this weekend. So. It's sad in that sense because, like, Italy is on the rise and they have a ton of great guys out there. Dovi, obviously, Morbidelli, Bagnaia has been a top-tier runner in Moto2 pretty much all season long, Fanati in Moto3, Niccolò Antonelli's a former race winner. They have a... Like, Eneo Bastini had his best race of the season last time out. Did as uh, well? Uh, yeah, they've,
0: they've got tons you, of them. They've, well, yeah, they've got tons of riders that they could, in theory, cheer for. Um, I mean, hell, they, they might just... Flood all that support behind. Um, they might just to keep it in the family and cheer for Luca Marini this weekend. Who knows? Um, in Monto too. Oh, sure. um, yeah, no pressure, Marini. You're flying. You're basically upholding the family honour this weekend um, at the Mizano, So uh, you're yeah, good luck, Luca. Um, but but yeah, it, it is a it is a real shame um, that, that this is the case um, because yeah, they, there are some real. I mean, Dobby is such a likable guy. If nothing else, but you, why would you not want to cheer right, for like- this guy? And like I say, he is now flying the flag for, for Italy in, in MotoGP at all. And and there isn't an extra Italian on the grid as it happens, because Ducati have uh, flown in the policeman. Michele Pirro as a wild card as well. Um, hey. so, um, so we don't have... Um, we have one less Yamaha. We will have one extra Ducati to make up for it um, this weekend. Um, so, um yeah, Yamaha wheeling... Uh, sorry, Ducati wheeling out the big guns to try and help Dovi um, this weekend at his home round. Um, but one day, Dre, MotoGP is going to have to face up to this on a permanent basis. Their sport... <laughs> without Valentino Rossi. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it may be 2019. It may not be. Valentino Rossi has said openly, if he's still competitive, come next year, he'll stick around and race into his 40s. Um, and unless this broken leg um, injures him and changes him to the point that he's just not the same rider anymore, I don't see why it would. Um, I don't see why he wouldn't still be competitive next year. Um, which means that MotoGP might have to put this conundrum off for another couple of years just yet. Um, but eventually mm. bounty Rossi is not going to be on the grid anymore. Um, and do you get any sense that MotoGP is any way prepared
1: for when that day arrives? No. Uh, it's a short answer. Um, I'm going to compare this. I wrote a column about this on the website last month and people that, people that know me well on Twitter know that I'm a massive track and field fan. And, track and field kind of had its little twilight moment with the world championships in August where it was Usain Bolt's final competitive race. And it was Mo Farah's final major championships. And they are without question, the two biggest stars in track and field. People were turning out in droves for Usain Bolt again, like, Bolt might have been the most famous athlete on the planet during that during this during this peak years when you know between maybe 20, 2008 and maybe 2012 in London where he was absolutely in his absolute unbeatable best. Yeah
0: and of course, he was, the, uh, of course the spectators in, in attendance all booed vociferously when he was beaten by his arch rival. I don't think we've ever heard that with MotoGP GP and Rossi, have we?
1: No, never. Uh, they've never done that, right? <laughs> um but like I said Bolt was 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 one of those guys that got people emotionally invested in track and field, maybe for the first time ever. Um, because I've, I've said it before, like before Bolt, there was a bunch of dudes within the 100 meters that nobody cared about. Sorry, I suffer, pal. But uh, it's one of those things where Bolt was... Bolt was the shot in the arm that athletics so desperately needed, um, and he became a mega star. And he was putting so much into a sport that they, we made villains out of people like Justin Gatlin, and we had to look at ourselves in the mirror quite deeply regarding, you know, doping and whatnot. But that was all stemming from Usain Bolt. When Gatlin became a threat, Bolt, you know, was, you know when Gatlin became a threat, we started to boo him. You know, and that, that's, and that is his own, that is his own story in its own in, in itself. But I remember the desperation from track and field. They were so desperate to make Wade Van Niekerk the next guy. Like, the interviews I was seeing with him, because he was going for the 200 and 400 double in those games, and he couldn't quite do it. Um, you know, like Wade Van Niekerk is an amazing athlete, but he has not got that X Factor or that charisma that Usain Bolt has or that showmanship that captivates casual fans. He's not that guy. He's, he's the ridiculously nice, humble kid from South Africa that's deeply religious. He's not that guy. But that's what I kind of compare it to because, I, I feel, again, hands down, I have no problem. Michael Johnson is one of my favourite pundits in all of sports because Michael Johnson keeps shit real. Mm. Like, even if he works for the BBC, he does not beat the BBC's drum on this one and what they're trying to say. Michael Johnson will come out and say it whatever the hell he feels like saying. Mm. And he said mm. straight up, he's been saying on Twitter and he's been saying on TV for the last two or three years the sport needs to prepare itself for when Usain Bolt retires. Because he made it, like, Bolt said two years ago he was going to retire in 2017. It's been a known quantity for two years now that he was going to retire in 2017. And yet, Bolt's now gone, Farah's switching to road racing. Like, who's going to be the next guy in track and field now? Who's going to be the guy we're going into? And Johnson made the point of maybe we should be marketing these events differently, saying, oh let's just say, see the best athletes in the world compete rather than come watch Bolt run. Mm. Um, And it reminds me a lot of what's going through MotoGP right now. I mean, Valentino Rossi, he's the guy. And Marquez is very popular, an incredible star. Jorge Lorenzo, again, big audience, big fan. You'll get grandstands for for Pedrosa. You'll get grandstands for Lorenzo. You'll get grandstands for Marquez.
0: The issue you have with (laughs) these guys, though, that that we've found in the last couple of years is... The, the, almost the tribal nature of MotoGP fandom now and support stemming from yeah. 2015 in that i mean you would think if if you're going to pinpoint anyone once valentine rossi retires to be the face of MotoGP, gp the guy that connects with people outside of the sport and that makes people tune in it would be mark marquez um certainly For certainly me, yes, certainly, certainly to me and you it would be mark marquez but yes. Definitely. Are you gonna get? Because too much water has gone under the gone under the bridge for any of those Valentino Rossi fans when Rossi retires to think, right? We need a new guy to cheer for. I know. Let's cheer Mark Marquez on.
1: Not gonna happen. Like, like <laughs> too much has happened. Through, through no fault of his own, Marquez has alienated half of Rossi's fan base at least through what happened in 2015. And therefore, I mean, half of his sports fan base. <laughs> exactly because. Like, I still see people on Twitter fight Simon Patterson and yeah. fight David Evans last and Julian Ryder talking about Sepang 2015. Like, oh, well, Marquez did this. Marquez did that. Marquez was dodgy. Marquez did that. And I'm like, we're still talking about yeah, this Simon two Patterson, years on? Simon Patterson
0: last week on MCM was referring to the races that are still to go. Um, in this calendar and what that means for the championship and they referred to oh Mark Marquez goes very well around left-handed circuits the only one he's been beaten around recently is Valencia and he instantly got a flood of replies saying well yeah that's because he wasn't wanting to overtake Lorenzo in 2015
1: come on like people are still really salty about how that 2015 title ended I still believe Um, it they still believe there was some sort of grand conspiracy going on, which, you know, in today's tinfoil hat society, I can't and, say I'm and surprised. And unfortunately, Matt Marquez is probably going to carry that with him for the rest of his career. Which is amazing, because he's one of the best bike riders I have ever seen. And he is the most entertaining rider I think I've seen in recent times. That you know, and I said it on Twitter, like, Marquez doesn't need defending, but... He is the most entertaining rider I've seen in recent times, and the only thing's missing to give him Rossi's popularity is showmanship and an affinity for the color yellow. I could watch Mark
0: um, Marquez ride around an empty circuit and be entertained because he's he's electrifying to watch. Um, just watch him on a qualifying lap. I mean, his his, his pole lap at Silverstone, he, he nearly crashed three times on his pole lap um, because he was that in, he was that electrifying to watch. Um, but. Yeah, he would be the guy that would make me want to tune in uh, and just to just to watch him ride around. Um, but that's not the case for, for everybody, unfortunately. And I mean, for for those that cover the sport, they they're at a bit of a crossroads, aren't they? I mean, take M C N, and in,
1: right. in
0: many ways, you you, you you almost want to criticize M C N, but you almost see their thinking, and um, because they have to try and sell newspapers in what is a dying medium. Um, but you. you you have to go a long way when either a MotoGP race has just happened or one is about to happen um, to find an MCN issue, which does not have Valentino Rossi either on the front or the back of it. And, and they're, they're unashamed about that. And, and you can totally understand their method of thinking. He sells newspapers because of who he is. If you see that yellow 46 on it, you're probably going to pick it up and read it. Um, Yeah. But but the danger that they face with that is that once he is not around anymore, um, people are going to look at an MCN in their newsstands and not going to going to see a bike on the front of them and go, ah, who's that? I'm not going to read that.
1: Yeah, that's the sad thing about it, is that they're setting themselves up for an even bigger cliff when Valentino Rossi inevitably does retire. Um, Marquez is not Valentino, neither is Dovi, neither is Lorenzo, neither is Maverick Vinales. Nobody in the sport has that level of casual captivation that Rossi does. And you know what? The funny thing is with Marquez is is that Marquez, to a bike fan, is every bit as entertaining for the most part. The problem is is that the 93 is not as recognisable on a casual level. The 46 has become part of Rossi's brand. The showmanship has gone viral on many occasions, whether his extravagant celebrations and his ridiculous level of charisma on and off the track that Marquez is just not wired that way. He's a different sort of rider in that sense. He's more of a showman off the track than he is on it. Um, Even though he's ridiculously entertaining on said track. But as you say, like how are MCM going to sell papers without Valentino? And the honest answer to that is, I don't know because Marquez is not Valentino. And no matter how hard you sell Marquez, if you made Marquez the guy instead you're never gonna. You're never going to capture the audience of, of of Valentino Rossi, especially when half his fan base hate his guts, mm. and that's another part of the problem. I mean, I, I'll tell you for free. My, I've, I've written about this as well on the website before. My dad and my brother were huge Valentino Rossi fans, and when they used to live in my house, um, they would they would watch every MotoGP race on Eurosport you can think of. And they were massive Rossi fans. And when Rossi started to fade around the, 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 the Dijakati era, they stopped watching. And I, I told them about Martin Marquez and how captivating he is, and nobody picked up my brother still watches, but my dad doesn't watch MotoGP anymore. And because, you know, Rossi has not been in title contention since 20, like he, he picked it up again around 2015. Ironically, the same year, Valentino Rossi had the best chance he's ever had at winning title number 10. Mm. So, you know... That's how casual fans think. I see it and I breathe it every single, every single time a MotoGP stuff happens to be dropped in a conference when I do talk to my dad every once in a while. So it's one of those things where you're not going to convince casual fans to watch Mark Marquez. It's, it's, it's a near impossible task. Yeah, and it's, it's even more impossible
0: in, in this country and increasingly in all countries where you're going to have to f- subscribe, pay to subscribe to a certain TV channel to make sure you watch it. And, and you need a very good reason. You're going to need a very good reason to pay, whether it's 12 quid a month for BT Sport or whatever it is in other countries, or pay for the video pass every month. You're going to need a very good reason to, to outlay that much money every month. And if your reason is Valentino Rossi, then a lot of people are suddenly going to cancel their subscriptions, aren't they? Um, in, right. in the future as well, which, which MotoGP needs to prepare itself for. Um, in terms of Yamaha as well, they're going to have to prepare for this as well in the future, um, they're going to have to try and replace Valentino Rossi um, in years to come. Um, forecasting ahead a little bit, let's say it's 2019. Um, and there's no guarantee it would be. Um, which way do Yamaha go? I mean, I mean, Joan Zarco perhaps would be the most obvious contender as the lead rider from their satellite team. Um, but two, two points on that. One, Yamaha have not had much of a history of promoting from the satellite team. They tend to just pick the best rider from another team. Um, i.e. the best rider available and Joan Zarco by the time the 2019 season starts Joan Zarco will be 28 um, which is it's not old by any touch but it's not necessarily the age that these teams want to sign riders at um, so where do Yamaha go I mean perhaps in this sense it's not a bad time for Alex Rins to be improving the way he is because Yamaha he was on Yamaha's radar himself not so long ago
1: Indeed, I think, I think Paul Spagger would be a great shout. I think he's doing fantastic work on that KTM right now, and he's, he's spearheading that team's efforts. A little bit uh, inconsistent at times, but overall, I think he's having an excellent, excellent season right now. I think he'd be a great name to have in that seat. The issue, again, as I say, with that is, is that KTM's not going to want to let go of their lead rider, and um, you know, unless Paul would, you know break his own contract to go to Yamaha yeah, again. Miguel Oliveira I
0: mean, is so good that they could afford to let him go.
1: Yeah, maybe that. And the thing is, would would, would Paul want to go to Yamaha's factory team knowing that Yamaha stabbed him in the back before by giving him a factory deal and then not following through on that? Mm. Um, mm. I wonder. Um, but, Although Paul is a year younger than Zarco. It helps, you know. <laughs> it helps, I'm just saying. But... Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure on that one. Paul Spagaro for me would be would be my number one pick to take that seat because you know, like again, I'm not sure you want to invest heavily in a 28 year old Johan Zarco at that point, um, mm-hmm. who is, is, has been. I mean, the way the way teams are thinking, they're thinking can we can we get two aliens on the same team now? And you know, Ducati might be the only team yeah, ideally, that has
0: they to- want a Marquez, they want a rider who. They can pretty much bank on... They want a franchise guy. Yeah, they can bank on for
1: a decade or more. Yeah, they want a franchise guy. It's like they want a guy that they can lead their franchise with for the next five, ten years. Like Marquez... Could be a Honda rider till the end of the decade at least, and then some. And he's already done five years with them. Um, I mean, he debuted at twenty for Christ's sake. Like um, mm-hmm. Ma- Maverick, same deal. Debuted at twenty-one. Like these guys want those factory-based aliens that are good enough to put on a top bike immediately, and they can carry their team for the next decade. Um, so, you know, like is, is like Zarco is not a sexy pick. Uh, um, unfortunately, they, who knows? They might look to someone like Frankie Morbidelli, mm. we, especially with the especially with the Valentino Rossi influence on his camp. If you know, maybe have another Rossi product on the seat, and maybe get some crossover appeal that way. That could, you know, if, if Morbidelli is good, then you know that could be one they could take up on. But problem is, he's joining a Honda team next year, so mm. who knows mm. at that point? Um, there's uh, there's certainly names in the conversation, but. Nobody screams out like hey, there's a must-buy right now no. or, a must, or a, as a must-sign to replace Valentino. Only because, one, because it's Valentino, and two, because there's a lot of midfield talents out there, and I don't think anyone stands out more over the other.
0: No, I mean, uh, <laughs> Peko Bagnaglia might be a left-field one um, for, for future years. Uh, Francesco oh, Bagnaglia, yep. he's, he's another one with VR46 connections, um, who a lot of MotoGP teams are very high on as well. Um, from the stuff, he, the work he's done not only in that Mahindra last year but on the Moto2 bike this year um, for Sky B R 46 um, unless someone like Joan Mir cleans up straight away in Moto2 next year uh, and makes himself a must sign um, he might be a potential name for the future but then, I mean given that they are sponsored the, uh, by a Spanish TV company in, in Movistar um, I don't think uh, that team mm-hmm. would necessarily be averse to having two Spaniards in their team um, no, but, but but we shall see. They they're, they're going to have. I mean, you could argue that they'll have their their uh, franchise guy in Maverick um, for the, for the next ten years, and perhaps they can take a risk with the other rider. I've I've always been very high on Rins, uh, and I'm glad to see him now showing what he's capable of on that Suzuki this season. But then again, Suzuki aren't going to want to lose their potential franchise rider to Yamaha for the second time in three years are they yeah, they're not going to be keen on that given that they've done that already with Maverick and sold him to uh, to the highest bidder to Yamaha so uh so yeah um decisions to be made and um I mean hey this decision might not need to be made for another two years yet if Valentino Rossi sticks around but it's gonna have to be made eventually um Indeed. not just for MotoGP but also for Yamaha Uh, in terms of what they do in the future. Uh, Rossi, as we mentioned, out of this weekend's San Marino Grand Prix. Um, Cal Crutchlow very nearly joined him um, on the uh, injured bench um, for this weekend's Grand Prix. And again, proving that no matter what you do, sometimes you can just pick up an injury somewhere. Um, Cal Crutchlow, Dre, finding slicing parmesan cheese at home a little too dangerous.
1: I told him before not to go after the cheese board. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. I read this and I just laughed. I was like, like, Cal, okay, who Cal, has you're doing a, it? Wrong. Like, like, Cal, you're doing it wrong. Just buy the Parmesan cheese in a pot like everybody else does, for Christ's sake. Um, no, don't buy the actual wheel of Parmesan. Like, get, 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 go to, go to Asda other you know other supermarket chains are available um and just get like a nice grated pot for you saves you half that saves you all the effort but yeah I, I i find it amazing that cal has injured himself in his own kitchen basically um trying to cut parmesan cheese and oh wait that's my finger um yeah, yeah i mean I mean, um, I, I
0: mean i know he's just obviously he's a strong guy because he races motorcycles for a living but I mean, I, I've been, I've been like chopping carrots before and, and cut my finger open, but I've never gone right through the tendon. I mean, what was he doing?
1: That, like, 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 was, was it like a scene out of Ratatouille or yeah. something? Like, he, like, or like when a, a horror movie where he like he, taking a, like taking he, he a raises off. the. Yeah, like he's he's raised the carving knife <laughs> in the air and the camera's focused on the knife and it's like you might get the little glint off the edge of the blade to make it look really dramatic yeah. and then he's got down in his own finger. I don't know. I don't know what he's done. sudden we
0: heard Willow crying from the next room and looked away for a second. I'm like
1: chef. <laughs> He's traumatizing his poor daughter, like, like at such a young age. Like, like, you're gonna mess your kids up, man. Um, But no, because because he spoke
0: on the uh, the LCR Facebook page when he was sort of to sort of address his status, Um, and he said he he said that he 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 did it, and then he said the next day it was still bleeding. The next day, Um,
1: so he basically left this. So he slept with it clearly,
0: and it's like, and uh, obviously woke up with his hand in a pool of blood clearly. Um, and and thought, I better, oh. thought I better get this sorted out. And yeah, he um, a, an image of it appeared on BT Sport this morning, and it looks grim. I mean, I thought I was I thought I'd seen bad fingers when I saw the state of Bradley Smith's at Silverstone, um, which is still a mess. Um, but yeah, that that was not good. Um, what what Cal Crutchlow did to himself. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of any injuries to compare. I mean, Roger Federer once he, he um, knackered his knee running a bath for his kids, didn't he, at home? And famously had to miss <laughs> tournaments. I mean, it's, it's amazing oh, how you oh. know, these, these, these premier athletes, um, and I'm not talking about Tony Nice on 205 Live when I mentioned that, um, <laughs> that uh, managed to injure themselves doing the most pathetic things at home. Um, and oh, and, and it's, it's in a cast. He's got that finger in a cast for the next month, um, Cal Crutchlow. So it's, it's certainly not going to be comfortable for him on the bike um of course lcr can ill afford i mean it's not like they can uh, hang their hat on uh, their other rider because cal is their only rider
1: yeah it's it's, still kind of busy unfortunately um (laughs) yeah i I just find it amazing you cut through the bloody tendon like that that takes some doing Mm. man holy shit but uh yeah like you say that is not going to be a comfortable injury at all no that is going to be Oh, that's going to be nasty by the time he's done, like a full twenty-eight lap race distance. Basically, um, whew, man, that's good. That, that, that's that's an ugly one. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of any other freak athlete injuries I can think of, but it's nothing on the top of my head. But that is that is a weird one, man. Just 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 cutting for a cutting for a block of Parmesan cheese in your house and you're having to sever your own tendon. That is um, impressive, going Cal. I'll, well done. Those... That, is the, that is the most Cal Crutchlow thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, well, there was the famous one that
0: sort of signaled the beginning of the end for Juan Montoya as a Formula One driver when he, uh, when there was the the, the uh, conjecture about whether he injured himself on a trials bike or whether he injured himself playing tennis, um, and we never quite found out which of the two it was um, when he had to miss a couple of races from McLaren in two thousand and five. It's it is it is amazing how these guys race. At, you know, they, they have one of the riskiest jobs, if you like, in the world, and yet still manage to injure themselves just in the kitchen at home. Uh, and Kel did say himself at home. Um, he did say, oh, prove that men shouldn't be in the kitchen, was, I think, the first thing he said. Um, <clears throat> which, um, yeah, um, not, not one to ignore a bit of casual sexism. Um, but, he, <clears throat> but, he, um, but he also said that he himself hadn't been in the kitchen, really, for a good ten years. Um, and um, pretty much, within about a half an hour, proved why. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, moral of the story, Cal, probably best, probably cooking's not your bag. Um, just, uh, just leave it to Team Hospitality in future. Um, yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, yeah I think he's learned a harsh lesson there, uh, as Cal. Um, but he is racing this weekend, um, so far at least, um, at the San Marino Grand Prix. Another guy who's racing there is Tito Rabat, and we now know that he'll be racing there next year too, Dre, because he has um, earned, slash bought, um, whichever way you want to <laughs> phrase it. Um, the, uh, the Avintia Ducati motor GPC, one that had kind of been a um, uh, oh, pretty poorly kept secret for a while, uh, but now it's official. We know that Tito is sticking
1: around. Yay. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. It's, it, it, it's it's not a lot to get excited about really. I mean, apparently Avintia has been tossing this one up for a, f- for a number of weeks, even though we all already kind of knew where this was going. Really, um, yeah. I mean, Rabat is extremely well funded. Avintia is a team that's strapped for cash. You could put two and two together on this one, and, and you can see where that was going because Rabat is well funded, and you know, yeah, it's 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 a decency for him. I'd like to see what he's like on a Ducati, most likely a GP16 next year. Oh no, its is oh, actually... it isn't. It isn't. It's been confirmed. It's a GP17 that Tito's on. Oh. 17 okay which, throw, which uh, throws up another
0: question that i'll ask you in a moment but but tito Rabat. i mean he if i'm if i'm trying to fish for sort of crumb I mean, if i'm trying to give tito credit here um maybe because that honda's not an easy bike to ride let's face it um maybe tito maybe there is a gp rider in there one he gets once he gets on a ducati maybe that ducati is an easier bike to ride um and we've seen guys like barbara and baz um, one of which he's replacing next year um, and you know, guys like Scott Redding go well Petrucci's gone well on, on, a, on a Ducati um, Tito Perumat will probably be sat there thinking well I could do that if I get on that bike if, it's, if it suits me um, sure. and, and maybe that's what I've been to, you're hoping too um, although he hasn't done an awful lot so far to scream GP rider. I mean Jack Miller's been comfortably better than him um, in right. the same team so far, Jack Miller, another rider who's swapping a Honda for a Ducati next year um, for what it's worth um, but yeah on MotoGP.com when this was announced it, it, they did announce it or they did mention it in the story that he will be riding a GP17 um, next year nice. which which means one of two things it means either Avintia are going to have two GP17s next year um, which would surprise me given that they're skint um, or it means that whoever is on that second Ducati alongside Rabat already now knows that if they sign for Avintia they're going to have to ride a
1: two year old bike next year yeah, most likely. So, Xavier, um, hmm. how do you like your MotoGP chances now? Um, because because, because it's if heavy. that's the case, if
0: you're going to be signing someone to ride a two-year-old bike, then that almost gives us a clue as to the calibre of rider they're going to attract.
1: Not a very good one, is is, is the straight-up answer to that, because we all know Hector Barber has struggled on this 16 this year. Um... And Barbara is most likely out anyway. I mean, for, like for all intents and purposes, everybody <laughs> and their mother is saying that the Avintia are clearing the decks. Baz and Barbara will both be gone, and it looks like Xavier Simeon will get that second seat um, from the Moto 2 class, with um, the guy with one career win. Um, but a ton of, of money. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Belgian TV networks—they're they're, not—they're not going out here glossing over Romelu Lukaku. No. They're funding bike riders. No. Who can complain? No, they're
0: having to wait for the Stoffel van Vandoorne train to finally uh, roll into town. It's not arrived yet.
1: Uh, they might have to be waiting a while on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's still—it's still the side of the road in a cloud of smoke, unfortunately. Um, but um, but hey, it might have a Renault in it next year. So who knows? Um, but no, they yeah they. <laughs> Xavier Simeon brings funding, which makes him instantly appealing to to Avintia. But there aren't many other riders out there because, I mean, it's the only spot on the grid now that's left to be filled, um, unless uh, you believe that Bradley Smith's place is in jeopardy um, at KTM. Um, And there aren't many other stronger riders that you can necessarily put on that bike. I mean, if if you were offering it up on talent alone and performances alone... I think probably both of us would agree, and
1: this would amaze a lot of listeners, that Loris Baz deserves to stay, doesn't he? I think he does. I think he's been great this season. I just, I just think that you know Baz unfortunately lost his greatest bargaining tool with the rise of Johan Zarco. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> Dorna now has their French, they now have their French superstar. And given how they were basically chanting Zarco's name with that home podium at Le Mans earlier this season, I looked at that and I went. Laurie's Baz, you're done in this town. I'm sorry, my man. Mm-hmm. Like that, That's just the way this is, unfortunately. Like, Baz lost his greatest bargaining tool, um, and that was the fact that he was the only Frenchman in the class, and that no longer is a thing. Zarco is now obviously a, a top-tier level rider in the field, and Baz, unfortunately, has not had the opportunity to prove himself at that level, and he's going to be chopped liver for Xavier Simeon's Belgian RTL money. Mm. Sorry, Baz, that's that's just how this is. Maybe someone in Worlds will give you another chance.
0: Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's the only place I can really see him going, and we'll we'll come on to World Superbikes in a, in a few moments because there are there are contracts up at the end of this year, <coughs> and potentially bikes uh, being added or a bike being added to the grid uh, at one of the factory teams next year, um, which which may offer an opportunity for Baz. He certainly deserves deserves a top level ride somewhere. Um, because he, he's proven something that I didn't expect him to prove as a MotoGP rider, um, given that he was he was a solid second best within the Kawasaki team for a few years. I did not expect that to lead to a successful MotoGP career, got to be honest. Um, but he's done a cracking job with Forward and now with Avintia. Um, so let's hope he finds a seat somewhere. Um, and given how big he is, it's not going to be Moto2. Um, it's going to have to be a superbike, um, surely, because he's... Um, he's very, very tall, or um, So bad. Yes. So fingers crossed that he 62. finds this. Yes, yeah, he is. He's by MotoGP terms that is a lot. Um, he's a giant in so, MotoGP terms. So, uh, so let's hope he finds something uh, very, very soon. Um, one for you, nostalgia fans. Next, because um, we very rarely cover Moto America on this show, um, the American National Championship, um, the American <laughs> National Superbike Championship. But we're mentioning it for a very, very good reason because. Um, its championship could be decided this weekend. Um, Cameron Bobier, who is the reigning champion, who's currently um, in the championship fight, uh, he's third in the championship, is now out <laughs> to injury for this next round, which leaves the championship leader with a very comfortable lead and an open goal this weekend to clinch the championship. Andre, that man is Tony Elias. Hey,
1: Tony, that's the little 2006's finest. Um, Gosh, I feel old even mentioning that. Man. Oh, God, that was that was almost 11 years ago. I think, I think it's 11 years ago to the month. That is mm. that is terrifying. What has happened to me? Um, but, um, yeah, it is, it is very cool to see that Elias is on the brink of another championship. I mean, we remember his last one was even the inaugural Moto2 championship in 2010, I think it was. 2010, yeah. Uh, yeah, 2010. So, um, yeah, um, gosh, it's, it's nice to see Tony Elias back up there again. <laughs> I was going to say, back when Thomas Lutie was a Moto2 rider. Oh,
0: wait, he still is. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, t- Tony Elias, who's riding a Suzuki superbike. So, yeah, it is being competitive somewhere, believe it or not. Um, it's doing the business in the States. Um, so, Tony Elias, who heads into this weekend's round in New Jersey um, with a 79-point championship lead. Um, and assuming that the uh, weekend doesn't get rained off because um, there's some horrible weather, as you all know, out in that part of the world right about now. Um, thoughts to everyone, uh, particularly um, out in Florida, um, who are facing some very, very difficult conditions at the moment. Um, but, but Tony Elias, as long as he leaves this weekend with a 50-point lead, um, so basically as long as he doesn't lose 29 points to his nearest rival in two races in New Jersey this weekend, uh, he will be the American Superbike Champion. Um, and that'll be that be a nice string to add to his bow, given that he's already a Moto2 champion and, of course, a MotoGP race winner, Dre, in still what I think is commonly agreed as, if not the greatest, certainly in the top three greatest MotoGP races of all time.
1: Yeah, it's... If not one of the best, certainly one of the most important because it, mm-hmm. it, it, it paved the careers of so many people. We, I mean, we still talk about the Repsol Hondas taking each other out. We still talk about the fact that those five points inevitably cost Valentino Rossi the title for not winning that race. I think it was by two thousandths of a mm. second. Um, basically, for those, I've, 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 I've got a picture on my PC of the photo finish because it was it was officially deemed as a photo when when the race happened itself. Like, Elias wins it by, I'd say, about a third of a wheel. Um, and they're crossing that line at about 180 miles an hour. So it's you're, you're looking inches, maybe three inches, compared to the, to the two of them over the line. And those two inches cost Rossi what would have been title number 10 in the end. It's funny how we talk about that now. Mm, yeah, um, the,
0: the fine margins of, of professional sport. I mean, I mean, that race, I mean, it, that was one of the races that really made me that hooked me as a bike fan i've got to say i mean uh, up, up until um probably seven or eight years ago i was a formula one fan first and a bike fan second right um, right and and it was and, and obviously since becoming more involved in motorcycle racing it's now flipped the other way um but without races like esteril 2006 um i probably wouldn't have become hooked on it because it was a, a gripping race because of the not just the championship implications that were hinging on it, with, with Nicky Hayden potentially losing his one great opportunity as a world title because of his mm-hmm. because of his rookie teammate taking him out um, back when Danny Pedroza was a rookie, um, and mm-hmm. the the fact that Valentino Rossi was trying to take advantage, the fact that we had Kenny Roberts was trying to take a first what a first win in uh, people forget in a long, Roberts needed that race on the final lap yeah, until uh, he got dive bombed into oblivion by Tony. Um, i think the line junior
1: says is it legal to use a bike as a weapon yeah
0: can you throw your motorcycle <laughs> or someone in a race um and uh yeah tony let going the car park route to overtake someone and uh yeah so T- T- toby moody going what a hero what a boy and Junior rider just chips in what a loony um, what a loony as, as tony just um just notices that this is probably his great opportunity at winning a grand prix and just says he's going to throw the kitchen sink at it um, yeah, whether definitely... Valentino Rossi likes it or not. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was just a brilliant, brilliant Grand Prix um, one that you really need to go out your way to watch it's worth the free trial on uh, on the video pass in fact, it's worth, it's worth paying for the video pass to be honest um, oh, just it. to watch yeah. that Grand Prix um, ideally, if you can find it with Toby and Julian's commentary from the Eurosport days um, which you might have to take some uh, totally illegal methods to find it find it because it's a fantastic race fantastically commentated on by those two because when I watched that race live um, it was uh, with Charlie Cox and Steve Parrish on BBC. And to be fair, even they did a great job because it was just the, the Nicky Hayden being taken out by Pedroza, just the shock of it. Just yes. you know, everyone everyone watching that moment just watched it with their mouths just wide open. Just, did we it, really it, it see that? Not-
1: it's a shocker. Like, like I, I remember specifically, they cut to the Repsol Honda pit crew immediately, and everyone is just in complete shock. Like, like not even anger or rage. It's just shock. It's like, what the hell just happened? Um, like, and you can see like. Hayden is absolutely apocalyptic mm. after that accident. Like, I have never seen anyone in my in that incensed. Like, I think, like, it could have easily been something out of Mortal Kombat if Nick Hayden just ripped Danny Pogros' head and spine clean from his body at that point in time because he was, either looked like he was about to kill him. Mm. Uh, it's like, because at that point in time, I, think, I don't I think he must probably handed in the weapon. Yeah, it's like, I think at that point in time, he would, have, he would have sat there and gone, well, he's just cost Hayden the world title. Yeah. Probably the only <laughs>
0: chance he's ever going to have to win it. Um, and as it turned out, it was the only chance he was ever going to have to win it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it, it became part of, uh, what, part of the Hollywood story like of Nicky Hayden's World Championship year um, in 2006. So, of course, it all came round again for him in Valencia um, two weeks yeah. later. Um, yeah, one of the great MotoGP races of all time um festival 2006 if you get, have any way of being able to find it and watch it make sure you do so and uh, yeah Tony Elias yes. playing a full part in that and he could as I say become the American Superbike Champion um this weekend we will let you know on next week's show if indeed he does it um to World Superbike news then and um World Superbike news surrounding the second Red Bull Honda which has become a bit of a musical chair since the, the sad loss of Nicky Hayden um, in mm. the summer. Um, we saw Jake Gagne ride on it um, in the American round yep. of Laguna Seca. We've seen Davide Giuliano ride on it um, at the Leibniz Ring in Germany. Um, for the next two rounds, at Portimao and Jerez, Portimao which is next weekend um, and Jerez which is on the, f- the end weekend of the crossover between September and October. Um, we're going to see a debutante to World Superbikes by the name of Takumi Takahashi. Um, now, this may not be a name that's familiar to all of you, but this is a fantastic talent who I'm actually really looking forward to seeing um, on this bike because he is um, a Honda Test Rider, um, but he's not, um, when I say Honda Test Rider, I don't mean that he's in his mid-40s, as many of them are. Um, he's still at a very young <laughs> age. I believe he's 27, um, Takumi Takahashi. He's been riding for Honda for the last few years for the um, Hart Pro Team uh, in the Japanese Superbike Championship. So essentially, he's been their factory Superbike rider. Um, in the Japanese championship. And of course, he has been part of their Suzuka 8-hour winning team, and he's a three-time winner of the Suzuka 8-hour mm-hmm. his Takahashi. So he is no slouch on a superbike. Um, what's kind of interesting, though, Dre, um, well, two things. First of all, um, given the regulations in Japan that we've, of course, seen at the 8-hour with the, the spec of the bikes, he's probably actually going to be riding on a slower and more standard spec of bike in the World Superbike Championship than he does in
1: his own National Series. Exactly. It's kind of funny, because in in Suzuka, they let you run these ridiculously, highly upgraded, you know, basically race-spec superbikes, and superbikes in in the World Series are obviously trying to restrain that and pull that back in a little bit. So it's actually probably not going to be as fast, ironically. Um, But, ooh... Um, that could be uh, a very interesting little move there. And again, again, a very talented rider that's just never really had this sort of mainstream opportunity like this one. And yeah, it's a big one for him. So yeah, why not get him on that Red Bull Honda and see what he can do? Yeah,
0: want to uh, give Bradle a hurry up again um, within, yeah. within, within that Red Bull Honda team. Um, but w- yeah, what again, I do find interesting about this. The second thing I find interesting about this is that they haven't kept Davide Giuliano on. Because Giuliano, of course, is still he's still a rider for Hire. He's still not got a job since the uh, his BSB um, project went sour very quickly uh, within a couple of rounds. Um, so what what do we glean from that? The fact that even though he's still available, and he didn't do he didn't do the worst job, he certainly didn't do a great job um, on that Red Bull Honda back at the Lausitzring in Germany. The fact that the team decided not to keep him on.
1: Indeed, I mean, again, Davide was not great. Let's not let like let's not beat around the bush. Here. He was not particularly strong in that weekend, but you know, it's one of those things where he was new. He'd not had an awful lot of time on that bike to really adapt, and you know, I, I'd like to think that you know, giving him a a bit more of a chance would actually, you know, you you get more out of him that way. I mean, it's like Davide's really having his reputation tarnished as a rider because we we saw him in British Superbikes earlier this year and he quit on his team then pretty much. And um, now he's gone to Red Bull Honda for the one weekend and he wasn't particularly strong. He's not coming back for that team either. It's, It's not great. It's not a good look for him. So... You know, the way it's going right now, it's kind of sad,
0: actually. It is. It might also um, be a, just a measure of the desperation at the moment at Red Bull Honda. Because reading Marco Cini, the operations manager of this Honda World Superbike team, um, he he speak he spoke this week once they'd <laughs> signed Takashi for these two rounds. And he says... Um, Honda has always had an extremely high regard of his skills as a racer and test rider, and his long-term experience with the Fireblade will surely help the team and Honda to have a clearer idea of the current package in order to plan future developments. It almost sounds as if this team is so lost with this bike that they don't know what to do with it, that they're thinking, well,
1: let's get HRC's premier test rider, to try and help us figure out what the hell we're doing with this bike. Mm-hmm. Like, And you're not going to get the best test data in the world by, um, you know, by putting everybody and their mother on that bike. If you want to develop it, you need a consistent second person. Especially especially if you're not... But that's
0: more than anything, what they're missing from Nicky Hayden. Some leadership and some direction.
1: Right, exactly. Because especially if they're not happy with the way that Stefan Bradle is going right now, if you're not happy with Bradle, you need to make a move now and start over. Because... The way it's going right now, if you keep putting different, hot-shotting different riders on that second bike, you're never going to get anywhere in terms of development, which is something that's critical given they have to play catch-up right now, that their are is struggling a lot more on the world scene than it is on the national level.
0: Mm, Yeah, it is, and and Takahashi um, has been a a trusted rider. He is 27, just from checking his age. He's 27 years old, um, but still has a wealth of experience with Honda um on on he currently lies five points off the outright championship lead in that japanese superbike championship don't know who's leading it because i haven't got the championship, championship in front of me but i'm gonna take a guess it's nakasuka um but i'll try and find it <laughs> out uh, as we're recording this um but there are other seats available for next year in the world super championship i mean hell if takahashi does a stunning job he might yet get it um or with that honda team for next year um because there are seats to be filled and at least one of them Dre with that Honda team because Stefan Bradle is by no means secure within that team. And of course they need a long-term replacement for Nicky Hayden. And there are a couple of riders further up the grid who haven't signed contracts yet for next season. Xavi Forres, um, at the Barney team and Jordi Torres, who are both, both on one year contracts or contracts that expire at the end of this year. Um, would, if, if you're Bull Honda, would you, A, be tempted with either of those two riders, and B, if you're either Forres or Torres, does that team appeal to you in the slightest? Because let's not forget, it is still a factory team with factory bikes, so if they get it right,
1: it might be a good seat to be in. It's still probably better than being on a satellite Ducati in the sense of, yeah, it's good. BM. Yeah, it's a custom. Yeah, but like I said like it's still it's it's good. But at the same time, is that you're never going to win with it because there's two better teams running. Yeah, that could apply to everything. You have got a better chance of of upsetting that balance with a factory. Um, so, oof. I don't know what to tell you on this one. It's like yeah, the satellite Ducati is a clearly a better bike right now. But if Ten can get that Honda up to snuff, then it's not so bad. Uh, I don't know, man. That is friggin' tricky. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that that bike
0: needs a lot of figuring. It all seems as if it's still a year away from being anywhere near competitive. I mean, just look at Yamaha. I mean, they came they came into the championship at the start of what last year, uh, or the year before that. No, it was the start of last year with Kuntolian Lowe's, and we expected them to be right up the front straight away. And they weren't a million miles away. They weren't right up the front, but they were they were better than Honda are now. Um, and a year and a half later, and we're still waiting for them to close that gap. They're still uh, not even halfway to closing that gap, are they? So that almost gives us a measure of the the, the, the the sort of the scale of the task that Honda have ahead of them.
1: Yeah, they are just they are a they are a long, long way away of from you know really from where they need to be, and yeah, it's just. It's not; a, they're not in good shape right now, and they they need consistency. They need a leader. They need some guidance. They need they need to be know they need to know where they're going, basically, more than anything else. And ugh, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you, man. It's it's hard. It is a hard spot to be when you're on the right now. And again, when you when you're in a hard spot, like who who wants to ride for you? Exactly. You know that's 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 going to be the problem. That's the problem they're in. Is that they. <laughs> They have
0: vacancies to fill, obviously tragically because of what happened to Nicky Hayden, and they're not really their, their motorcycle isn't really a great advert to come and sign for them um, at the moment, and they may have to stick with bridle uh, as it as it goes because they they may not be much better else out there um, unless, for instance, they give Loris Baz a call or, or someone like that. I mean, I mean, Rebel Honda could certainly do a lot worse, and I'm not sure Loris Baz could do much worse at, at, at the moment. Um, given what's out there. I mean, even if Forres or Torres takes that speed, that would, see, that would leave Altea with two spots open, or at least a spot open if they keep Rafa de Rosa. Um, and Barney Ducati, who, let's not forget, were looking to take on two bikes themselves. Um, mm-hmm. They would have a spot to fill um, if, if Chavi Forres, even if Chabi Forres stays at that team. Another team that are looking to branch out for next season, Dre, and this is an interesting one, Speed Week flagged this up um, a couple of weeks ago, Envy Augusta. Um, now, i'd I'd love to know where they're trying to find this money from um but but they're looking to they're exploring the possibility i think is the best way of phrasing it of running two superbikes next season um which would be about time wouldn't it
1: you'd think um like then they they need to they need to grow their operations and you know having more if they can afford to get more bikes out there and basically give cameo a little bit of help that's not a bad idea either bit of breaking news for you Mm Alex Marquez out of the Misano Grand Prix. Alex yeah. Marquez out. He has injured his hip, internal bleeding. Apparently, he's Blimey. been sent home for treatment. Um, so yeah, that apparently was a it was a bad hip injury on the high side he suffered in free practice. What about which was going on as we went on the air? Um, Alex Marquez out of the San Marino Grand Prix. It was, so yeah, it was a his, bad
0: bad landing for him as well. Um,
1: yeah, And We'll uh, yeah. come on
0: to that um, in a little bit um but yeah, m v uh they they're looking to run two bikes I mean camier has been doing the lord's work with that team um and it, in some ways you almost you almost wish he had another rider with him to just help develop that bike and you know give him some data to compare his own data to um to just to sort of establish whether they're going in the right direction or not um but I guess the other way of looking at it dre is if you're only on camier um if you're in a one-man team, any development of that bike is going to be tailored to your needs and your requirements and your style, um, which might necessarily be the case if they go two riders. If it's a rider that's in no way similar to Kamiya, because Camier, much like Loris Baz, is very, very tall, um, Exactly. is the other rider is that- necessarily, is that
1: necessarily going to benefit Camier? I don't know. Like... Do you go all in on Cameo, or do you get a second bike thinking that'll help you develop faster? I'm not sure what the right move is on that one. Um, especially given MV uh, are <laughs> uh, 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 the smallest of the factory outfits. They barely even run their own, their own team in... Um in world Superbikes as it is i'm not sure of having just having a second bike There's necessarily going to make them any better even more so given they still have moto aspirations as well there's a lot going on in that factory and i'm not sure if they're spreading themselves a little bit too thin because they've already got a
0: team in world super sport as well i mean with pj jacobson the plan apparently is that they want to run next year two in super bike and one in super sport um which i mean they run one in super sport as it is with jacobson as well as a load of customer bikes uh, of course, one of which won earlier this year with Robbie Rolfo in Australia. So um, it's clearly a strong bike, even if you're not running factory support for it. So they could probably afford to just lease their, their super support bikes out to other teams and just let them have at it um, and, and put all their efforts into their superbike bike team. Um, it would certainly be good for the championship, I think, if we had another factory bike out there, because it's pretty clear with Cameo that that MV Agusta as a superbike is competitive um right, and right. um having another one of those in there would certainly it might not necessarily make the fight at the front the four-way fight between the kawasaki's and the ducati's more exciting but it certainly made the fight behind it um a little bit more interesting with another competitive bike in there um but yeah there are still seats to be filled um for next season in superbike and as they are filled we will update you on this show um well Superbike of course returns next weekend at portum and it can't return soon enough for one greg haynes the commentator for Eurosport, who um, revealed to us all this week, Dre, that he was struggling to sleep one night. As we all do at one point during the week, we always have to wake up in hey. the middle of the night struggling to sleep. And, uh, yeah, what do you always do when you're struggling for sleep? Actually, maybe go get a drink or, or something, or you'll, uh, I don't know, maybe take, uh, take some sleeping pills or something to help you sleep. If you're Greg Haynes, you get on your video pass and you watch the Super Pole and two races from Portimao two years ago. That guy never stops working.
1: <laughs> the man is a machine. <laughs> I I wake up in the middle of the night and do more work. I is,
0: I- aside, I'm going to watch Tom Sykes Kurt Stomp them in a Super Bowl session.
1: Hey!
0: Should, should I wasn't of uh, no. no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I, hey, don't get me wrong. I, I'm off, I've am off. i got a ton of DVDs with old like, Formula One races on, which I'll, I'll I'll tend to put on if I'm bored or if I'm asleep. But, yeah, he, he inevitably got a reply, Greg Haynes, of, oh, yeah, need, World Superbikes helps you sleep, does it? Um, which um, on some occasions this season might be slightly, uh, very painfully true. Um, but, uh, 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 but but that wasn't the thinking for, for Greg Haynes. That guy just never stops working as it goes, he's always researching. Um, of course, World Superbikes back in action next weekend. And, and I, for one, I, I think you're pretty much agreed on this because I think we both love this circuit. Really looking forward to seeing World Superbikes returning to Portimao.
1: Yeah, great track. Oh, I love it. Changeable condition possibility out there as well. Um, because we obviously two years ago we had a lot of rain in there, and it we we saw the first ever World Superbike flag to flag race two years ago, and how that how that went down. And that was a fantastic fight. So Portimao is a great circuit, very underrated in the grand scheme of things. I would love to see more disciplines on that circuit at some point, mm. but. um mm. Yeah, um, that would have been awesome. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to have a back at Portsmouth next weekend. Yeah, it's why every
0: time I hear any kind of suggestion or any kind of rumors that perhaps Formula 1 might go, I keep going, no.
1: No, because
0: anytime Formula 1 goes to a motorcycle circuit, they ruin it and make it bumpy. Um, so, so, like, every time I go to Silverstone, all I hear is riders complaining about how bumpy it is. Um, because the Formula One cars have, have been going over it. So, um, yeah, let's just keep it to bikes, please. Because um, it is a tremendous <laughs> circuit, Portimao. Um, if only G P went there. About where Monte GP is at this weekend, which is Misano, and look ahead to this weekend's San Marino Grand Prix. Um, and of course, it is a key race, as every race is now, for the World Championship. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, Andre, Andrea Dovizioso is the big Italian hope. And uh, I mean, he's already believing that this championship could be on. And I mean, it's another key weekend. I mean, Mark Marquez has started this weekend very, very well. Um, quickest in practice yep. this morning, ahead of Michele Piro, as it goes, the uh, wild card on one of the extra uh, factory Ducatis, as you hear the sound of the police in the background um, uh-huh. but um, we really have to take this race by race now, rather than looking long term, looking at, oh, what does this mean for the championship, we really just have to take this race by race and it's a key one for Dovi, can he can he stretch this out a little bit more and dare we say it, stretch that lead out a little bit more, because heading into these flyaways, in particular Aragon, where Marquez is so good um, you do get the feeling, certainly I do, that Dobby needs every point you can get heading into
1: those flyaways. Indeed, and Ciccati from what I remember, don't go particularly strong at Aragon, um, and I don't think they go pretty well. I don't think they go all that well at Misano either. No, I mean um, the next
0: four races on the calendar were all won by Hondas last year. Um, ah, Misano was a, a Misano was Pedroza, Aragon and. Uh, Mategi were Marquez and Philip Island would have been Marquez had he not fallen off but instead it was crutched low on a Honda
1: Mm -hmm. yeah um uh, yeah so Ducati like if they can steal a win in here somewhere but oh man that'd be great for him but as you say Pedrosa was fantastic here last year on an alternate strategy Marquez has come out of the traps flying this weekend already I mean fastest in free practice won by four tenths of a second yeah, I mean, Marcus um, wasn't, awesome. wasn't that strong last year at Bate-
0: uh, Mazzano, but he was playing the championship game
1: yes yeah, i think he, i think he took a very conservative fourth that day if he i did. remember correctly um and yeah he, he was thinking he was thinking the bigger picture on this one he thought like, you know let me just take these 13 points i'm not going to get anything better than this i'm not going to override it for a podium mm. that doesn't exist it's
0: not going to do that this uh,
1: weekend. No, I I think there's a with one less guy. With one less guy as a major contender contender in play, like Marquez is going to be thinking, I can get a win here. Uh, It's like Aragon last year, where he thought, okay, Marquez was just starting to turn the screw, and he thought, okay. No more championship games. Let's go win this Grand Prix. And that's exactly what he did. Um, I have a feeling that Marquez is going to be doing that this time because he's going to want that championship lead right back. He wants to control this thing, mm. uh, especially with Aragon Cunners, which is a banker Marquez around pretty much. So, yeah, the way it's going, he's going to want this one. And he's got a very good chance to win this weekend. If Pedrosa matches him on high strategy, uh, it, it could be all his. And, you know, Yamaha tends to go very strong around here. But well, I'm not convinced on Maverick's pace. Let's put it that way. So the way it's going right now, I mean, there is a reason Marquez is the current bookies favorite at 23 to 20. Kind of says it all, really. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Yamaha have gone well in previous years
0: at uh, Mizano, but it's been either Lorenzo or in the last few years, Rossi. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a peak Lorenzo circuit, uh, is Mizano. He's always gone very well there. Um, and in the last two three years, um, the Yamaha that's always gone best at Mizano has been the one that's not here, uh, Valentino Rossi, because he should have really won the 2015 race had he had any kind of now in flag-to-flag conditions. He would have won that one and then was beaten by Pedroza. And I think we were all stunned last year when he was chased down late on by Pedroza on that alternate strategy to beat him. Um, And of course, the year before that, 2014, he won the great comeback win um, in the year of Marquez dominance. Um, So Yamaha's... Perhaps likeliest winner this weekend isn't here. Um, But Maverick Vinales surely has to take a lot of heart from Silverstone given that the tyre wear issues that have plagued Yamaha for much of the summer appear to have been behind them based on a test they did at this circuit um, two or three weeks ago. So Yamaha have got plenty of data at this circuit so there's no reason why Yamaha shouldn't be right up there in the fight.
1: You'd think, um, as you said, like, Vignanas ran the soft tyre at Silverstone, it lasted the entire race and was very close to winning the Grand Prix, so that's a good sign for Yamaha and their tyre wear issues that have plagued them throughout the year. I'm not sure how it's going to play out at um, uh, uh, this time around at Masano, a lot of low-speed corners around here, which is going to make it interesting, a lot of mechanical grip might come into play, but... Um, so I'm not sure how it's going to play out on this one, but Yamaha tends to go strong around here anyway. But the problem is that Michelin has now thrown an entire monkey wrench into that entire form book. It no longer exists. Um, it's now currently set to blaze at the bottom of my garden. Mm. Um... So I have no idea why, why, how this is going to play out for, for Yamaha. Now I don't know how Masano is in terms of grip levels and whatnot, and that's going to be where it, that's going to be the critical thing for Yamaha. If it's, if, if it's a circuit or surface with a lot of grip, Yamaha will do well. If it isn't, well, we saw how Austria went, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah,
0: it's, it is a good point though, with slow corners because it's. I mean, Rossi still mentioned that in, in Silverstone through that. I mean, that's why Rossi was so slow in that final sector with the the complex through Loughfield and and out of. Uh, out towards Woodcut, the final corner, uh, and, of course, Brooklyn's as well as a slow corner in that final sector of the lap, and that Yamaha just spinning its rear tyre, um, which is part of the reason why it wears it so much. And, you know, there are a few places um, at Mizano where the bike is likely to do that as well. Um, but, as I say, the team did test there um, not so long ago. Um, as far as this championship is concerned, of course, Maverick Vinales is third in the championship at the moment, um, a handful of points, around a dozen points off the championship leader. Um We'll, we'll mention Valentino Rossi as a championship contender. The only way that he can really remain a championship contender beyond this weekend is if Marquez and Davizioso fail to score this weekend. If, for whatever reason, Marquez blows up again, um, or perhaps the two have a have a tangled Ray Davies style, um, it, w- it would be interesting. If that happens, because Valentino Rossi is twenty six off the lead, he'll be sitting in every um, cryo chamber going, won't he, to try and get himself. He'll be rushing desperately back for Aragon. If he still, yeah, if he still he, happens to be twenty six off the lead at the end of this weekend,
1: somebody call like Michael. Somebody get Michael Jackson's oxygen tank yeah. up up in here. Let's see, let's see if we can recuperate and get, get some red blood cells into that leg of see if we can get him back for Aragon. But yeah, that's probably what it's going to take. And then that leads to another problem. Maverick probably wins that race, and he's going to be like a ton of points behind his own teammate that's going to make it even more awkward mm. for Rossi in terms of a title because I mean he needs three guys in front of him to all have massive hiccups mm. um, in some ways that yeah. would that would increase the payings of course
0: had he been on track to take advantage he'd be right in the bit but anyway the, the other guy that we should mention because if we're talking about championship contenders we must mention Danny Pedrosa, who won this race last year and always as Neil Hodgson mentioned um, an hour or so ago on BT Sports during their lunch break program, always finishes the season strongly, um, Danny Pedrosa. Now he is, as we stand at the moment, 35 points off the championship leader of Andrea Dovizioso and currently 26 points behind his own teammate, Mark Marquez, and Danny Pedrosa won here last year. Uh, Whisper it quietly, Dre, but if Danny Pedrosa wins this weekend, he's not out of
1: it, is he? I'm not doing this. I am not doing this again with Pedrosa because every time Pedrosa has a big boy weekend, he ends up crapping the bed two weekends mm-hmm. later and it's all for naught. Mm-hmm. I'm not falling for this trap again, me I'm not doing it. Pedrosa's going to have to go out of his way and prove it this time around. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And yeah, I'm not falling for this trap again with Pedrosa. He's always a nearly man and I think he's just perennially going to be a nearly man, oh, unfortunately. Uh, poor guy it's just because he's, he's a great rider but he's just he's not had that one season where i can go yeah i think podrosa's gonna win the championship this year because he, he can't win enough races he can't consistently beat marquez and the, the problem is you know is there's too many guys in front of him the one season
0: where it looked like he was gonna do it it was here mizano where the championship completely fell apart for him where he was relentlessly chasing down Lorenzo. This was the season where Stoner broke his leg at Indianapolis and was out of it, and it was down to Pedroza to chase down Lorenzo for the championship. And, of course, Lorenzo uh, Pedroza had that nightmarish afternoon at Mizano where he put it on pole position. Then his bike got pushed off the grid, uh, which meant he had to start the race from the back of the grid uh, with Lorenzo up the front. And then he gets himself halfway through the pack on the very first lap and then Hector Barbara wipes him out on lap one. Um, and it was just one of those days, like one of those days that Pedroza's had a few of his career where you just look at it and go, it's just not meant to be um, for Danny Pedroza. But as I say, if he wins this weekend, he has to be considered a contender mathematically, if nothing else, um, because he would be within a race's worth of points of the outright leader. Um, Don't you do it, son of
1: me. Don't you do it. Don't fall for this trap.
0: Hey, <laughs> hey, I'm still not putting any money on it, but he'd have. if he wins this weekend, he has to be considered a contender um for the championship um whether you consider him a favorite or not is another matter he'd certainly still be uh, one of the outsiders for it um pretty clear where the championship's going to go in Moto two it's going to go one of two ways Morbidelli or luti especially now that we know that alex marquez won't be racing for the rest of this weekend um at misano and we hope for sake his sake that uh, he'll be back in time for his home round at aragon um in two weeks um but this is becoming increasingly with every race that goes by for Luty, beat Morbidelli or bust. Um, he's 29 points behind with six races to go. So in theory, six wins wins the championship for Luti by one point, unless he doesn't win this weekend, in which case it's out of his hands completely. Um, and Morbidelli, of course, has the home support to cheer him on this weekend, Lutie. Um, of course, knows he's going to be teammates to Morbidelli next season in MotoGP, which does add an extra dimension to this championship battle. But um, we say this every weekend, and it becomes increasingly important. Luty's just got to beat Franco and beat him well.
1: Indeed, and there's there's nothing more Thomas can do. He's just got to go into the weekend thinking I have to beat Morbidelli, preferably for a win, because the point differences aren't as aren't as big. Um, you know, lower down the scoring table. But what I will say is that now Alex Marquez is out, that's one less person for Luty to worry about. If I want to be cynical about it, I mean, let's be real here: Marquez isn't racing this weekend, and that's one major top contender Luty doesn't have to deal with now, at least for this weekend. Um, that's one less person that Luty has to beat. So. This, this is a big chance for Luzi to, to try and take some points back out of Frankie's championship league. Because as we've seen with Frankie in the season, if he's on form, he wins. Period. If he's not on form, he tends to have pretty bad days. Mm. Yeah,
0: so... he tends to be 56th or 7th or somewhere, doesn't he? Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it, it's oh. a
1: key weekend, this,
0: in the Moto2 Championship Battle, because on home soil. Um, leads the championship by 29. Um, Joan Mir leads the Moto3 championship by 64 points from Aaron Canet and 66 from Romano Fanati. Um, Aaron Canet, by the way, was quickest in practice uh, earlier on this morning as we recorded this um, in a session that started wet. Um, now, what's astonishing, Dre, about this is Joan Mir, if he wins this weekend with Canet and Fanati off the podium... It would put Mier in a mathematical position where he could actually clinch the championship at Aragon in two weeks, which is just a just an immeasure of how dominant he's been.
1: Exactly. I mean, holy hat! Uh, holy crap! That is a uh, that is ridiculous that he can has he has even half a chance to wrap this up before the Flyaways. That would be ridiculous. Um, and heck, not. Not entirely impossible, given Fanati and Canet's differing form at times. Um, so, yeah, the way it's going right now, I wouldn't completely rule that out either. So, yeah, Amir is on fire. He's not finished a race outside of the top 10 this year. And again, like knowing Mir, he'll be right in the mix for the win, as he pretty much always has been this season. It's seven
0: wins already for, for Joan Amir this year. And he, has to say, he leads it by 64. He needs to get to the end of Aragon in two races time with a 100-point lead. Um, and if he does that, he would uh, emulate Brad Binder, who won the Moto3 Championship last season before he even got on the plane to Japan, um, which is an astonishing uh, reflection of his dominance. Um, no championships to be decided this weekend at Silverstone because, of course, the championship, in a sense, hasn't started yet uh, in BSB. Um, but we will know at the end of this weekend which six will compete for it because the Showdown Six are decided this weekend, Dre, It is It is a key weekend um for the showdown six and before we talk about the six involved um it is worth asking given the way the season has panned out has this season changed your
1: opinion at all on the showdown system as a format no um short answer no long answer it would have been close to the standard scoring system anyway. Um, like, if you just took the points in a vacuum, it's very, very close right now. Yeah, it adds an extra little shot in the arm of excitement um, going into the mid-season point here now where we're getting up towards Silverstone. They've got about 10 races left to go in this in the season as a whole. But I also look at the situation and I go, well, it would have been close by conventional methods anyway. And the showdown still hasn't produced the winner outside of the top three of the championship going into it yet since its inception. So I've I've yet to see the proof that the showdown format makes the championship any better. I just don't believe in that because, if anything, we've had two you know we've had two seasons now where brooks completely made a mockery of the format two years ago we had the year before kianari getting injured in the showdown period effectively ended it and last season leon has having the one accident robbed us of a real close finale in that one too mm. so the way it's going right now the showdown only extrapolates It's how one like the margin of error is so much smaller now. All it takes is one little accident, and it blows the entire second half of the season's excitement out of the water. So it's very high risk, high reward in that sense. But maybe this will be the year that the podium credits because given the podium credits are all quite highly spread out, that you know maybe it'll be a bit a bit closer. But. Is anybody betting against Shaky Byrne right now? Well, I'm well
0: no, he was, he was quickest in practice this morning by 1.1 seconds. Um, but, Shocker! But, it, but <laughs> it, in fairness, it was a rain-affected session. Uh, well, I certainly hope I certainly hope it was, given that his fastest time was 2 minutes 28. Um, and Mark Marquez on MotoGP machine, he was on pole on a 159 there a couple of weeks ago. So I'm pretty certain it's raining at Silverstone right about now. Um, but Shaky yeah. Byrne was quickest this morning from Christian Iden and Josh Brooks. Um, now... <laughs> What we may get, we may get the first exception to that rule in, in a sense, Dre, with with the show format because we don't know yet which six were involved. Um, but this may be the season. If it's if there's going to be a season where someone wins it from fifth or sixth, surely there are contenders this year in uh, a Luke Mossy or a Jake
1: Dixon who could well do it. Yes, they're definitely. I mean, the one thing that's going for it this year is that. Right now, as it stands, the podium credits are quite nicely spread out. They're not all focused on one or two people at the moment. That is most definitely a good thing. No one has more than thirty-one of them. Right, so it's a it's it's a lot closer because a lot of guys have had big weekends. like Hickman or like Dixon that have had, you know, the one or two really massive weekends this season. Um, so. You know, like that—that's definitely the one thing that's going for us. If—if if any year breaks the mold, it'll be this one. But as I said before, we know BSB well, and we know that if I'm being completely honest, I think it's going to boil down to Shaky versus Haslam again. And and you know, I guess that's okay, but at the same time. Shaky is the pound for pound king, and unless he makes a critical error during the showdown, which he hasn't really done yet in, in recent times, he knows he, he he breaks out the big performances for the showdown. He knows what to do. He he he's been there so many times. Before that, I, I would not bet against him anyway. So if I'm if I'm the sort of person that's sitting down here thinking, well, I think Shaky's still going to win it anyway, then does the format really matter? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. In terms
0: of in terms of what who needs to do what this weekend? Um, because of no rider is actually guaranteed a showdown spot just yet. Um, but Shaky Burn needs only 13 points this weekend to guarantee himself a spot and even if he doesn't get those you'll probably still get in um the magic number that you need to reach is two three two which is basically the number of points you need to be safe even if seventh place jake dixon wins all three um gotcha. which he's probably not going to do but anyway that's the that's the finishing line of course that finishing line will be brought forward if dixon doesn't win either of the three races um so to be certain shaky bear needs 13 points to get in in three races haslam needs 23 um peter hickman needs 39 which is the equivalent of three fourth places um that's the minimum uh, that's the maximum point they would need to get in and jason o'halloran would need 54 um that's if dixon wins all three um, which would be slightly more difficult but really what we're talking about Dre, i think is top three are fairly safe it's from fourth down to ninth where we're looking um to see who gets in and that's jason o'halloran josh brooks and luke mossy who are currently in Jake Dixon, Christian Eden, and James Ellison, who are currently out. Ellison, by the way, probably needs three wins to have any chance uh, of getting in. Um, The guy that fascinates me there is Brooks, because, of course, he's won Silverstone in the past on the Yamaha back in his great championship year. But he, for me, is the guy most exposed um, of being knocked out of the showdown because his form of late, um, from being so good at Thruxton, tailed off badly at Cadwell Park, um, so he is a bit of an unknown going into this weekend, and equally he's got guys like Luke Mossey and Jake Dixon, who have won races, who've done, taken doubles earlier uh, this year, who could quite easily do that again and have one more Absolutely. and have one more races than Josh Brooks this season. So if it comes to a tiebreak on points, they'll they'll knock Josh Brooks out of there
1: absolutely. Brooks has been probably the most inconsistent man to be in that showdown spot right now. He can win races. He, he's he got the, the performance to be able to win races, but he's had a multitude of crashes that have cost him massive chunks of points that would have absolutely guaranteed him a spot. There's a chance Brooks will be leading the championship right now if he'd have pulled together off the crashes he's had this year. Yeah, and he's, only, he's so- only got 11 points of a cushion over Dixon in seventh. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous because again, Dixon has been excellent on that Kawasaki this season, the satellite Kawasaki team, and the 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 way it's been going right now, Dixon is the sort of guy that scores points in bunches. And if he has a big, if he has a big silver, then he will get in. There's no question, Mm and for that in my mind, it might be a Haran that might be the sacrificial lamb here, or Mossy, Mossy, um, because we we don't know how he's going to be. Um, You know, we don't know how he's going to be going in. so whew, I I don't know what the deal is here. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting weekend. And again, all it would take would be one Dixon big weekend, or even to string up three top fives, and then all of a sudden it, it could be carnage. Yeah, it, that <laughs> that is what
0: Doctor Showdown does create. It does create a very exciting round midway through the season. Uh, and this weekend is that where, as you say, for for any one of these nine guys, um, or particularly those further down, one big weekend can quite literally change your entire season. Um, and transform you from a mid-table guy to a genuine championship (laughs) contender, given that the podium points are so good. Um, As it stands at the moment, Shaky Baron has 31 podium points, to Haslam's 26. Um, Mossy and Dixon, and of course only one of those is in at the moment, both have 17. Um, uh, So in theory, are only 14 points off the championship lead if the showdown starts. Um, And then you have guys like Ellison, who needs Snookers to get in, who's on 11. Um, And Peter Hickman, who's on 9, but could quite easily add to that this weekend, it is going to be a fascinating weekend to see how the showdown six are decided and whatever happens, we'll be back next weekend uh, here on Bike Live to review what happens um, from this weekend's show where we had no races to look back and we'll have six of them to talk about um, next weekend with three at Mizano and three at Silverstone as the showdown six are decided and we'll be any closer to knowing who the MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 champions are going to be. Um, until then places you can find is facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 our website is motorsport101.net our youtube channel where as i mentioned once again you can find our interview with jack clark um uh, jack harvey should i say motorsport 101 uh, on youtube um you can also back us financially if you want on patreon if you want to earn yourself early access to both of our shows Uh, Motorsport 101 and Bike Live patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101 next week make sure you join us for episode 30 of Bike Live and episode 103 of Motorsport 101 but until then from myself and Andre Harrison it's bye bye